You're listening to the God-Centered Mom Podcast with me, Heather McFadden. As the mom to four young boys, I know motherhood's hard, but sometimes I think I make it even harder than it needs to be. I'll worry about my needs being met or I'll spend so much energy trying to make my boys happy that I forget that if I would take my eyes off me and my eyes off my kids and keep my eyes on God, that those desires would grow strangely dim and their contentment would go up as I'm led by his spirit. I also forget that I'm surrounded by God. He is going before me in places that I'm fearful of. He is walking with me on the hard days and he's coming behind me, redeeming any mistake I made. So each week I'll interview a new guest and we'll discuss what it means to be a God-centered mom. Thanks for listening. You're listening to episode 30 of the God Center Mom podcast. Today I'm chatting with a good real life friend, Melissa Jenkins. Okay, so I I think people look at me and they're like, wow, mom of four boys, how does she do it? Okay, then when I meet or know someone like Melissa who has five boys, two of which are twins, I'm like, how does she do it? And then I realize all the other things she's doing and ministering and ways she's building the kingdom of God, and I I can be like, I'm just not doing enough. But I think the best thing to do in these situations is to learn and not yearn and long to be like someone else. So I love to learn from women who are farther along in the journey or women who are doing amazing things. And Melissa is one of those girls who I feel like she and her husband are doing amazing things. And I want to learn from her. And I feel like ladies, instead of being jealous and wishing or comparing or thinking we are less than, that um, I think that we could just learn from her and hear her story and hear her heart and that it can challenge us to maybe go farther, do a little bit more than we're currently doing and challenge us to reach higher uh, to do his work in a new way. And I know Melissa, she would never want you to feel less than by hearing her story. So let's go ahead with the interview. I hope y'all do learn some things and you are encouraged and you are amazed at all that um, God is doing here in Dallas and um, just maybe stir a couple ideas of things you could do in your own city. All right, here we go. Hey, Melissa, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks so much for inviting me. Okay, so we have spent a lot of time chatting, but it wasn't being recorded. Um, yeah. We have, yeah. We, <laughs> <laughs> Melissa has um, all boys as well, and I have all boys, and her oldest and my oldest two were in Taekwondo together. How many years ago was that? I think almost three now. Almost three, because Knox was like a tiny baby. And you were pregnant with the unknown fourth child, could it be a girl or boy. <laughs> <laughs> and we would just chat. I mean, we had two practices a week. So that's a lot of hours we spent together back in the it little room. Fun. It was very fun. And so would you introduce all the listeners to your boys? Because you didn't have two of the boys back then that you have now. Right. So tell everyone yes, sure. your group. So we have Samuel, he's my oldest, and he just turned nine. And then my second one is Noah, and he just turned six. And then my third is Caleb, and he'll be three um, in about a month. And um, our fourth and fifth are surprise twins, Luke and Josiah, and they just turned six months. Ugh. I mean, (laughs) and when you told me you were pregnant with, you know, the fourth slash fifth, 
I was like, yay, so exciting. And then you came up to me and I think you held both <laughs> hands and you're like, there are two of them. <laughs> and I remember you telling me, I think they're going to be boys. I know a friend that had, you know, five or six boys and I was like laughing. I was like, no, surely not. You know, that'd be impossible because our family's all boys. And so this was actually the 10th and 11th boy on my husband's side of the family. So we didn't think it would be boys, but we're so excited. Yes. They are. They're so fun. And we're crazy about them. They're really cute. They're really cute. Um, <laughs> I'll put a link to Melissa's Instagram feed. If you're just like really wanting <laughs> really cute twins in your Instagram feed, you can follow her. Um, and be overwhelmed with multiple pictures a day, totally breaking the one a day rule. <laughs> no, I don't mind. I don't mind with you. And then our other friends from church, actually so we have I think three sets of twin boys, right? Oh with the yeah. Evans and the Katolkas. So fun. So one reason I wanted to have you on the show, Melissa, is, well, the main reason is I just love what you and your husband, Kyle, are doing. And um, their site, y'all, is lovingallpeoples.com. Yes, peoples. And uh, we actually had known about your ministry long before I met you at Taekwondo. But it was so great to get to know you and your heart. And so would you just share with everyone, how did y'all get started ministering? Um, And and officially, your non-for-profit's called Vickery Meadow Ministries, right? Yes. So in okay. um, 2003, we started our nonprofit um, called Vickery Meadow Ministry, and we actually had um, gotten married in May of 2002, and a few months later, we moved into an area of Dallas um, that was at the time the highest crime rate in Dallas, but it was basically in our backyard from where we grew up, and so we had known about that area for a long time. And we had a heart to reach that area, but we weren't sure what we were going to do. So we moved in kind of blindly, but felt led by God to kind of take that step. And um, pretty soon we started seeing refugees walking around the neighborhood. And it was just people that looked very different from us wearing um, somewhere wearing native dress and um, just um, they looked kind of like out of place from most of Dallas. And so we just started researching a little bit and found an organization that was helping refugees in Dallas. And so we, um, the first thing we did was just adopt a refugee family. And so at the time my husband and I had been married less than a year and we adopted this family that, um, came from Afghanistan and they had four children and, um, actually they had six, but only four were able to come with them and they were trying to bring the older two boys back. And so we just loved on them and helped them, you know, sign up, for school, go to the dentist, pay bills. And, um, the father was a, um, pharmacist and the wife was a radiologist, but they didn't speak English. And so trying to get a job here was really difficult. So he ended up, um, working at Seven Eleven night shift. And then he was painting also, um, just apartment buildings. And then the wife wasn't able to get a job. So really their 14 year old, um, became just the head person in the house that helped me because she spoke the best English. We um, had to make family decisions and she grew up really fast that year. So just from our experience with that one family, we saw um, how much of a need that one family had in their transition to America. And so we realized all the hundreds of people that were coming in each month um, to the United States, but really to Dallas in this one area. And so we just 
wanted to help them as best we could. So we started um, a ministry and it launched, I guess, um, February of 03. And we just um, wanted to help them in any way we could. First of all, not your normal newlywed story. Like, yeah, I guess not. First of all, <laughs> not your normal. So did you all have degrees in, you know, ministry, you know, I don't even know what you do. Okay. Education or what was your degree in? Well, my husband um, graduated um, with a Bible and cross-cultural degree from Dallas Christian College in Dallas. And then I was actually still in graduate school when we started doing this. I was getting uh, my master's in speech pathology. And so um, to pay the bills before we started our ministry, my husband just started a Christian lawn care, just a landscaping business. And so um, that's how we moved in. But then once we started the nonprofit, um, I was still in school, but we were able to um, start raising support for the work that we were doing. And so when you all were dating, was this your heart? Like you were like, okay, let's get married and let's move into this area. I mean, was that like, that was a common love desire you had? Yeah, we actually thought we wanted to be missionaries. And so we... um, just thought that's what we were going to do and go overseas at some point. And, um, but then once we really found out about this area, there were people from all over the world coming to us and we just felt Mm -hmm. like, you know, we could go overseas, but we have a chance to impact so many people from so many different countries that are all in one place. And many of those people were coming here to get, um, an education to even go back to their, um, to their country. And so what an impact we could have with someone that can, you know, maybe be a leader in their country and influence their country if they come to know God and, um, share him with others. So, um, you know, as we met Vickery in this area, um, of Dallas, it was pretty clear we were supposed to stay. And so paint a picture for those of us who don't know much about the refugee system. Okay. There's a country, um, I have a friend who's from uh, Africa, and her country was at war, and so she and her family moved over here. Is it always countries in war that that then send refugees? Um, and I mean, what's this? What's the process right. for someone? Well, oftentimes it's a war. Really, if you turn on the news and see atrocities in pretty much anywhere in the world, not long after you see that on TV, you'll see those people coming to America. And um, a lot of times it's war. Sometimes it's um, political persecution. Sometimes it's religious persecution. Um, we've we've ha- met friends that's really they, their situations are all different, and it can look like you know a refugee that's been living in a refugee camp for years, and maybe was even born in a refugee camp and is coming to Dallas, maybe with no education, never seen electricity, um, never had running water. But then also you see the flip side of people that were very wealthy in their country and were high up and had great jobs. And then they come here um, and really struggle just to um, pay their bills. And they, they have about three months um, of support um, of money coming in. And so they have about three months um, as a refugee citizen to learn English oftentimes, get a job, you know, learn how to use the bank, how to pay bills, just all those things that we take for granted they have to learn it really quickly until they're pretty much on their own and have to figure things out by themselves. So is the refugee system the, the United States and that's in cooperation with their country and they're just like they apply in their mm-hmm. country? 
to become a refugee? Like, how mm-hmm. do they decide which people get to come? You mentioned your family from Afghanistan and that they had to leave two kids. I mean, right. Well, they, their situation was really, they had to flee their, um, they had to flee their city because of war. And so when they were running, they literally had to run out basically for their lives and they got, um, just split up. And so then for years they were in different cities and then they just lost touch. But since then they were able to bring one of their sons back but it took probably about eight years for the whole process to happen. And they're still hoping for their other son. Um, and I mean, was when you say son, like an older son, a younger son, like I'm picturing he was, an eight-year-old. Well, he not- he was young at the time, but um, now I believe he's in his lower 20s. But, you know, he, his, he hasn't seen his parents for probably, I want to say, 12 or 13 years. So they grew up. Oh, and then goodness. when he came home, her child was a man, you know, so you get to know him differently, but they, um, they have been able to be in communication again. And we're hoping for the sixth son to come, to come home. But, but really there's organizations like, um, the international rescue committee or Catholic charities. So there's organizations that, um, work with the government and they, you know, have a process of who is able to come. And, um, and sometimes it might be a lottery situation that they can bring a certain number of people. Like when the, um, lost boys of Sudan came over, um, you know, not everyone that wanted to come was able to come. It was kind of a lottery and, um, and those that are lucky enough to come get to come to America and they have, you know, all these high hopes and some of them are able to get jobs and we've had awesome success stories. Um, but then some just kind of get lost in the shuffle and it's just hard to get a job and hard to make it. So this land they are so excited to come to is, you know, really challenging to live in. So, so then they're dropped. I mean, I know the area here in Dallas and when the United States decides, are there certain cities they always send people to, or is this every single city has a refugee area? I don't think it's every single city. I think that major cities, like I know, um, obviously Dallas, but then there's different, like there's pockets in Detroit that have lots of refugees. There's pockets all over, um, that I wasn't aware of, but it's, um, I think the major cities that have those resettling organizations already working there. Like I know Denver has a resettling agency. So, um, so a lot of cities do, and I'm sure more will. So if someone's listening and they're like, I had no idea, Mm -hmm that other countries were coming to ours and I could be a missionary yeah. right in my backyard. Right. Yeah. Where would, is there a good site for them to go to? That's kind of, I mean, you could look at the international rescue committee and Catholic charities. Cause I know, um, those are two of the biggest. Yeah. That would be a good place to start. Okay. So back to y'all's story. Um, so you would have that family and that just gave you a taste of like, wow, this is a big need. Mm-hmm. And so you started your non-for-profit and then where did God lead you from there? Um, several years we, um, worked strictly with, um, refugees and what we would do is when, and we kind of partnered up with one of the resettling agencies. So once a family would come to Dallas, we would find out where they lived. And so then my husband could go knock on their door, meet them, and then pick them up and take them to, um, get clothes and furniture and things that people had donated to us. And so, um, we were able to, you know, meet them and meet an immediate need that they had, but then also, you know, build a friendship with 
with them and help them get connected in any, any way that we could. And, um, so we did that for several years, um, until God kind of opened our eyes to some more areas he wanted us to reach out to in Dallas. So tell us what were some of those other areas that you saw need? Cause I mean, I feel like once you peel back mm-hmm. the layers on the brokenness mm-hmm. <laughs> around you, yeah people that I've talked to, they're like, it just goes farther. And so the refugees come and they don't Mm -hmm. get the job, but they need money. So where do they go next? And you go back farther and farther and you guys found needs and places that a lot of people don't want to go. Right. Where did did y'all end up? Well, what happened is my, um, my husband one time saw a documentary and it was all about, um, the sex industry and, um, traffic, sex trafficking and everything. And once we saw it, it was kind of, the thing that you can't not do anything about, like we could keep mm-hmm. working with refugees and it was a sweet ministry and, you know, they were so kind and it was just, you know, it was a need that we were filling, but it, it wasn't a hard need to fill because you can't help but love a refugee family when you meet them. Um, and then he um, opened our eyes to need and not just Dallas, but you know, the whole country, but um, he showed us that in Dallas there was um so many brothels that we had no idea about that, you know, we um, were kind of just blind to. And he watched this documentary and um, afterwards just walked away from it and knew we couldn't just turn on, turn our back on something we knew was going on. And so we hired um, a small staff and our heart was just to reach out to these women and that were stuck in the sex industry. And, Initially, our heart was to find the girls that were being trafficked and rescue them and help them in any, any way that we could. But the more we um, just got to know this, know this area, we found that there were so many girls that maybe weren't being trafficked but had had really hard lives because who would really choose um, to do that day after day? And so our heart kind of changed to we want to just reach hurting women. And if we come across someone that is trafficked, you know, we will do what we can to help them, but we want to reach, you know, all of the women and we don't want to have just blinders on only to only reach ones that were being trafficked. But, um, so that kind of started a journey for us to, um, kind of go to some really hard places and minister to, um, some really hurting women. And that's kind of changed throughout the years, um, in what we do, but, um, that's kind of, then underline the goal um, and the call that we feel like God has over us and our ministry is to reach out to those that are hurting and maybe um, the people that may not be being reached by normal outreach right now. They might be people on the fringes or people that would just never show up in a church because they don't feel worthy or they don't fit in or they don't um, understand kind of the Christian culture. And um, so that's kind of our heart. So it's kind of brought in from the sex industry to um, you know, it could be people struggling with mental health that are on the corner talking to themselves or, um, people that are involved in, um, just drugs and alcohol, whoever it may be. Um, our heart is, we have some different outreaches to some different groups around Dallas. So talk me through this. I know at some point I I was familiar with how y'all would go into, let's say a strip club or something Mm -hmm. and you would bring a team of girls yeah. and you can tell everybody what was your approach? How did you approach that okay. interaction? Um, well, it started, we were just going initially to, um, 
make contact with these girls, but we kept getting closed doors. And so one day before an outreach, we were praying and one of the members of our team um, said, I think we're supposed to go wash their feet. And so we, that just seemed a little odd, but um, we were willing to try anything at that point to get in to reach these women. And so um, we got buckets of water and, um, and our team went in and um, they also brought fingernail polish and we started um, eventually to do pedicures and that kind of thing. But this first time that we had done that, our team went in and, and they were able to get in immediately and they were in there for, you know, I think almost two hours ministering these women and washing their feet. And so that started an open door. And, um, and so we would, whether it's brothels, we would go into strip clubs um, and give, wash the girls' feet and read them scripture about how Jesus washed his disciples' feet and give them free pedicures and just love on them and pray for them. Um, and so that brought us to some areas that we never imagined going, but it was so sweet, just um, the things that God did in very unexpected places. And so in these situations, like some of us might think, I could never do that. That seems like, would I be safe? Would I be, you know, right? what is, I mean, have you ever felt unsafe? Is safeness something we should even worry about as believers? Like, what is your thought on the whole going to these hard places that as Christians, we often avoid? Right. Well, I think um, being wise is good. And I think, and being obedient to what God's telling you to do is good. And so I think um, like in these situations, Oftentimes, um, when I was able to join the team on an outreach, um, if my parents or my mom was babysitting our kids, um, you know, I grew up very sheltered, which I appreciate. Um, and so I had never been into that type of club before. And so, um, it was actually really hard for me to, um, I just kind of felt so sick and sad for these girls. And it was really challenging. I felt safe because my husband was in the parking lot watching the door and, um, he wasn't going to let anything happen to us. Um, but going in and meeting these women and ministering to them, it definitely took a toll on me emotionally. Cause that's, it's just really hard to, to see certain things. And, um, and I think, um, we had to be really careful because, you know, Satan wanted us to stop, um, our ministry. So how can he, you know, stop us from doing outreach and it's, you know, coming, he could come into our marriage or attack, you know, our family or different things that, so we have, you know, we want to be smart about spiritual warfare and, and that's something we're still learning about, but, um, but we also want to be obedient and we know God, if God calls us, he's going to protect us also. Um, but you know, we, we learned, we learned as we went, but we always felt, I always felt very safe and protected when we were in those places. So you kind of brought up, you know, there is a reality to this. You know, right. some people may say, oh, Melissa and Kyle, they're just angels. They're just perfect. Right. And they have these cute <laughs> twins that are on Instagram. Right. And you and I have talked perfect, about like. Perfect, easy life. Perfect, easy and loving <laughs> God and doing exactly. I wish I could be like them and serve like they do, but I just can't because I'm a mess and right. my kids are a mess. But I bet their kids are angels and right. they're out there serving too. And so is that true? <laughs> Absolutely. Every word, every word of that. No. <laughs> and I think that's my biggest heart because in you know, mothering my boys, I, there's definitely days that I, 
um, feel alone because I can look at social media, blogs and Instagram and just see, oh my gosh, everyone has these perfect lives and these perfect kids. Um, and no one else struggles. And I feel like, um, yes, I want to be very clear that life is hard and motherhood is hard and marriage is hard. Um, and God teaches us so much through it and it's so beautiful and I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world, but in it, I feel like, um, God is teaching me very important lessons that I have to walk with him throughout the day or I will fail. And when I do fail, he's right there to pick me back up and that I don't have to be this perfect mom and my kids are not going to be perfect. And, um, at times they're going to throw tantrums and be disrespectful and I'm going to get frustrated and think, um, you know, no other mom is struggling like I am. And I just think it's so, um, important and it encourages me when I find out that other moms have hard days too and struggle and that, you know, God's grace carries us through it all. But, um, you know, we, our family in ministry has felt, um, very attacked at times. And, you know, we went a couple of years ago, we had never taken a sabbatical and we had to take, um, really a month off to really, um, surrender it to God and say, do you want us even doing ministry anymore? We feel like it's affecting our marriage, our family, um, so many areas. And so we just had to kind of regroup and in his timing, no one really knew this was going on, but to bring us up Kyle and I to Copper Mountain and this couple just ministered to us um, for a week. And, um, we just felt God revealing to him, to us, what he wanted us to do. And he wanted us to keep doing it, but with different hearts. Like he didn't want it to be our job. He wanted us to minister to others. Again, the reason we started doing it out of a love for him and wanting to share others, his love and the reality of being in a relationship with him. So we definitely have our trials. We have our struggles and our family, you know, our kids are in timeout and (laughs) everyone else, but we're learning how to love each other as a family, but then how to love people that are different from us too. I think that's really good because I would think on a bad day, I could be like, man, my kids are so selfish and it's because we aren't serving like Kyle and Melissa are serving. And if I was just serving like them, then my kids would not be so selfish because I'd be modeling that other people have it way worse off than they do. But it's good to even hear that you, where you're going, the places that you're going and that they're seeing refugees and yet... I don't know. Do they still struggle with entitlement and wanting oh. things? And Oh, absolutely. And, and, and that's, you know, something I still struggle with at times, you know, yeah. I can have one foot in this low income area and then one foot in North Park mall and I can just forget, you know, I just get confused. And so I think just my kids can do the same thing and, you know, we're careful where we bring them. But before we had the twins, we would go to, um, families homes a lot. And so they are, um, you know, have seen all different types of families with, um, families that all six kids are living in one room and they're so joyful and happy and not, you know, not wanting for anything. And, um, so they see both sides of it, but I feel like our heart is just to, you know, to teach them what we want for ourselves, what's most important. And just to, um, it's not about things and stuff that you have, but just, to fully love God and surrender your life to God, whether that means um, no matter what your job is, but we just want their hearts to be fully surrendered to God. And we want to fully love each other and um, put each other first, which, you know, can definitely be challenging to learn that when they're nine, six, three, an infant. 
yeah. Something where in, inside all summer learning to share. <laughs> <laughs> oh, girl, hard, we had to have a little sit down today <laughs> with the Bible open just to have like a recentering of, oh, my stars, are we on the same team here? Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. so when you and Kyle, like, I, I feel like every couple kind of has to bring their thoughts together when you parent mm-hmm. and decide this is how we're going to do things. Mm-hmm. Um do you have like an intentional approach? I mean, you kind of mentioned it just now, but was there something like, do you have like a set of rules like this for our family? These are our rules or we always do this. Well, I think one thing we're trying to instill is the same thing that we um, do when we're um, reaching out to those that wouldn't um, necessarily go to church. And we're trying to bring the same model into our family as well. And that's when we're, um, connecting with God, like we try to make it simple. And so, um, you know, anyone is qualified to, you know, talk to God and be in communication with God. And so a lot of times, um, just like we do, if we're in an outreach leading a Bible study, we do this with our kids where we pick a verse and whether it's the verse that's listed on the Jesus calling for that day or, um, any verse that's on our hearts, but we, um, share it with them. And then, try to make an application for that day. So what are you going to do with this verse? And we're learning um, an obedience-based discipleship. Um, it's huge because a lot of times we can read a verse and be like, oh, that was good. Okay, that was good for my quiet time and then move on. But if we don't think about it throughout the day, and so um, it was just sweet the other day on the way to school, my husband and my oldest were having this conversation. And so they had a verse and just um, talked about how they were going to obey that verse, how they were going to apply it to that day. And then to come home that night and um, Samuel was sharing with my husband kind of how it, how he applied it that day. And it was just a simple, simple thing he did like on the playground with a friend, but it was, um, it just shows that, okay, we can, we can do this and anyone can do this, just apply what we're learning. And that's what changes our hearts because God, just through obedience, God can change our hearts and that we're drawn closer to him. So um, that's the main thing we're focusing on, like just um, teaching them a simple way to relate to God and to know God. That's great. And do you all have like a family prayer time or I mean, um, what's your little routine? So we have, um, you know, oftentimes we have family worship, which um, can be very creative. And I, I think I used to felt the pressure of, okay, we need to do like every certain night we need to do this and it needs to look like this. And then I'd get discouraged when they wouldn't like comply to these rules. And then it became about rules. And so we want it to be fun and we want worshiping God and connecting with God to be fun. And so, um, we're starting a little worship night at our house with, um, some of people that volunteer with us and everything. And so we were, um, had one just with our family and, um, the girl that is on staff with us. And so we had, we were just worshiping with them and then we are going to put them to bed and finish our night. And we just kind of let them take over. And so we are worshiping, but then we got, they had the costumes come out. They were, <laughs> had swords out and the old me would have been like, okay, this isn't proper worship. Like, you know, but we yeah. were just letting them embrace who they were and have fun. And that God is about fun and he loves us and we are just enjoying him and enjoying the kids just expressing themselves in their, you know, nine, six and three-year-old way. And it was very sweet. So I'm learning to kind of loosen up on my rules and just, you know, let God show us, you know, that he takes delight in however we worship. Kind of like David in his underwear down the street. I mean. <laughs> that kind of got brought up and we kind of. 
it before it got to that. <laughs> <You know. laughs> no, I think that's awesome. I think it's great. I mean, my boys can belt out some 80s rock tunes. Why not oh, yeah. some worship? Although we did get the Seeds family worship out yes. in the car. Yes. A friend had brought it up the other night, and I was like, yes, I need to get that back out. And it's just sweet. It's sweet it's, for them to hear them, yes. you know, with all their heart saying scripture mm-hmm. back to God. It's, yes. I mean, from my the sister-in-law mouths of gave, Yeah, my sister-in-law gave us that same CD, and so I love it. They know all the words and they're singing to it. And, um, and then I think I had put it up for a while and then I heard them humming Taylor Swift. (laughs) I realized that maybe we should get back, get back out that CD because, you know, yeah. Yeah. Singing some. Yeah. With their meta trouble. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. 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 Well, Melissa, I just love your heart and I love what you and Kyle are doing. And I really hope that, um, you sharing today kind of paints, a picture for all of us Thank to kind you. of consider. I mean, it, it, it could be, you know, our husbands don't have to quit their jobs and go into full-time ministry. Um, I mean, wouldn't you say like families listening now where their husband's working and you might be working too, the wife might be working, yeah. that there's a simple thing of just doing what you started with, adopting a family, a refugee family, starting there. Yeah. And even, I mean, even if life seems crazy, even to adopt a family, like what I've noticed is at the Arboretum or at different places in Dallas, I've, there's refugees working. Like you can, you can recognize the lost boy of Sudan and, um, or, or people that are dressed differently than you. You can see that they've come from a different country and letting them share, like getting to know someone and just letting them share your story means so much because they're, they're learning that, okay, someone cares. Yeah. Someone, an American cares. And a lot of, for a lot of them, what they wanted was just American friends, you know, to not only just learn English, but to be their friend. And so that's, um, I mean, it's not a little thing. It's a, it's, it would mean it's a huge thing to so many people. Yeah. And there's a lot that I think we, we don't even realize about our culture that is so different for other people. And mm-hmm. um, just walking them through that. And I remember the story, um, our church is involved with the refugee ministry. And the story um, someone shared, a refugee was sharing in front of the congregation about how their first time going to the grocery store, they got a cart and they just loaded it up. And um, when they left the grocery store, they just took their cart back to their apartment. And then the police knocked on the door. <laughs> and they had no idea that it was against the law to take the right. cards back home. Like it just seemed really convenient. Like we're walking right. blocks and blocks to the grocery store. Yeah. This is really nice that they provide these little carts for us to bring our groceries home. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, we don't realize the shock, Yeah. you know, that other people, little things. So, yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah. This is great. And I, I really encourage everyone to go to their site, loving all peoples. Kyle shares. Um, he is an amazing guy. I mean, I've met his sisters and his family too. It's like amazing. And he he shares how he carries a cross around town, right? Have you ever carried the cross around town? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Okay. I have. I have. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you he's guys, a, he's a little. He he. I've only done it on occasion. So he, um, yeah. This is just what God told him to do, and you know, he said that ministry has never been. Eaten easier when you're carrying this giant 12 foot cross around because you don't have to go up to people and you know get to know them the people that are interested the people that are hungry they they flock they come to you and that's 
um, questions or ask for prayer or everything. So it's pretty easy when you seem to, even though he, um, you know, some, it, he could come across as looking a little crazy out there, but he's being <laughs> obedient. So. When we say he's carrying a cross, we're not talking about a, um, like a three inch by six inch. We're talking about <laughs> how big is it? This one that he has now is 12 foot. And so, but it actually has wheels on the bottom. So it's funny. He went into one area that was a little, could be considered dangerous or controversial to carry a large cross around. And he, you know, someone just honks and screams at him and he thought they were getting mad, but they were just said, take the wheels off. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the wheels help him carry it longer distances. But yeah, that's funny. That's yeah. funny. Well, if y'all want to ca- catch up with his adventures of carrying the cross and now it's open doors and um, just follow them along. It's it's really inspiring. It helps open your eyes to crossing that chasm of religion and staying in our little church building and how unless we go out and love other people, they no one's no one's doing that. Um, so thank you again, Melissa. I really thank appreciate you. you taking time today in your car (laughs) and finding a babysitter for all the kids it's fun it's kind of peaceful and relaxing i like it oh a little break a little break well i'm glad i could do that i'm gonna do that all right well you enjoy the rest of your day thank you so much thank you okay bye bye i hope you enjoyed this episode of the god-centered mom podcast if you're looking for more resources on how to replace me with he go to godcenteredmom.com That's where you'll also find show notes with any links mentioned by our guest. I want you to really understand and know that God is just as present while you are washing dishes at your kitchen sink as while you are worshiping him in a church pew. He sees your service to your family and he is pleased. As it says in Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love, and he will rejoice over you with singing. Have a great day.